You're listening to Shrink the Virus, a weekly podcast that explores the psychology of everyday life during the pandemic, hosted by two psychiatrists, Steve Allen and Rob Seltzer. Shrink the Virus is brought to you by Melbourne independent community media organisation Triple R. Check out the Shrink the Virus podcast page on the Triple R website and on Facebook. And don't forget, you can financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber at any time. More details at rrr.org.au. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Shrink the Virus. I'm Steve Allen and I'm with my good friend, Rob Seltzer. And Rob, let's do our usual stuff. What's the timestamp? When, when are we recording? It is Tuesday, the 12th of May, 2020 at 8.22. So in half an hour, things could change and be very, very different because that's what's happening in this COVID world. It's in the evening, of course. What was in the news today? Let's give people a bit of a news timestamp. It is in the evening. Um, well, it looks like in Victoria, schools will be going back in a couple of weeks' time. And I've got to say, there was marked ambivalence amongst my teenage children as to whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I, I was just looking at the email that our school sent out, and gee, man, they have got their work cut out in front of them because they're staggering days. So some some years go back on one day, some years go back on other days for the first week. And the teachers got to then figure out who gets distance learning for that week, who gets on-site learning for that week, and they've got to pivot really, really quickly. So remember a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed uh, David Opat, who's a, uh, a teacher, and he was saying, you know, what a remarkable job teachers are doing, and rock on, they really are. It just sounds like they're going to have to do almost t- twice as much work because they've already gone through a phase yeah. To adjust the whole world, the whole country to distance learning, and now it appears that they're going to be running almost parallel distance learning and classroom learning. The way I read it, and also, of course, the school is going to have an enormous amount of cleaning. There's about forty million budget. <laughs> <laughs> but it is going to be hard. We're behind the other states still. So Victoria, in a couple of weeks, the um, preps grade one, grade two, something like that, go back, as do the year 11 and 12. And then the yeah. others go back um, in June, I think it is. So a couple of weeks after that or something like that. Um, and of course, we're just on the back of all of the restrictions lifting yesterday on the 11th mm-hmm. of May. And in Victoria and in other states over the weekend before that. And we've all got slightly different rules according to our local circumstances. But in a nutshell, as of tonight, as of tomorrow, therefore... It's a, yeah, it's midnight tonight, yeah. Yeah, five people over in our house. And we ten in outdoor venues in Victoria, in most of Australia, in fact. And the, four, the fifth reason to leave the home becomes to socialise and see friends, although we've been asked to do it with some... Carefulness, and obviously, the golden rule is social distancing must be maintained. No matter what we do, social distancing must be maintained. That doesn't change, yeah. That's interesting because my son, you know, is desperate to see his soccer mates, and he said, "Does that mean can we can we hug when we see each other?" You know, and I said, "No, nah. <laughs> still social distancing." Yeah, you got to um, start playing soccer like Aussie rules. None of this <laughs> hugging and kissing. <laughs> A high five, a bit of a punch on the shoulder. Good on you, mate. No, they'll do that elbow tap that they were doing just before the footies. Oh, yeah, that's true. So what about you, mate? What's news with you? Well, not much. I'm still going to work. So, you know, it's still busy for me because I'm probably knocking back, I don't know, about 
five or six either podcasts, not only this one, you know, ones I'm doing on Friends, or some sort of media commitments, you know, ABC, um, you know, writing things here and there. And I do a weekly wellbeing thing at work. And but. The most dramatic thing that is probably going on for me is I, I realised I haven't changed out of my tracksuit, apart from going to work. So I have work clothes by the bed. And nowadays, because I'm only at work about four hours and I normally come home and work for four or five hours, I tend to, you know, leave my tracksuit on most of the time and just quickly put on my shirt and trousers <laughs> if I'm popping across the hospital. Or if I've, got a, if I've got a Zoom meeting in the afternoon, I normally have three or four Zoom meetings or see patients online. And so all I do is pop on a shirt. So like the same shirt now lasts for about three days because <laughs> I need to wash them on for about two or three hours. Have you washed your tracksuit pants in the last week? No, no. Oh, mate. I mean, the last month. In fact, that might be a task for this weekend. What about I did our radio show, Radiotherapy, on Sunday. They had to go. I've got to listen. I haven't listened oh, to it. Oh, well, look, it was great. Um, but I, because of infection control, we could only have one person in the studio. So I had me in the studio panelling. Three metres in the studio to my right, there was Penn, who was my co-host, who I had to see on FaceTime. I had uh, Gemma on Zoom. Um, and then we had our guests by phone. Did it work? Did you have technical problems? It, it all, look, I, unbelievably, it was a Rubik's Cube. Unbelievably, it all, I mean, because I was panelling, it worked. But I was going to say it was probably the first time in a long time I can remember being a bit anxious going to air. Because normally, you know, you and I go to air, and it's just like we're having a conversation between ourselves. And yeah, there might be other people listening. But this, I was really worried about stuffing it up. Um, but it went well. But it just, it, it just goes to show when you push, you can do stuff. Funnily enough, I hosted radiotherapy the Sunday before you, last last one. I actually loved it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. I loved, you know, it's that sense of the first five years when we did radio when yeah. you were a bit nervous and on edge, and I just loved it. Hey, we I, should get down to business. We should get down to business. And what we're talking about today is coming out of ISO. Because I- isolation. Come Well, ISO is the okay term, isn't it? I like ISO better. It's such ISO. A word. Yeah. You know what I mean? When people talk about ISO, I'm old school. I think of that little dial on the camera. Remember on the, on the film cameras, you had ISO, which oh. was the exposure you're supposed to put your camera to. Yeah, you, yeah. Photography enough to ever deal with anything. <laughs> to, to ever care. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about coming out of ISO and the implications about it. And we're going to have a bit of a report card of where we're up to and those sorts of things. Um, you know, funnily enough, just let, let's get started, Steve, because. People are talking about returning to work, returning to school, returning to shopping, returning to social stuff. But return would imply that you're going back to something and it is the same. And it is not a return because what we're going back to is different to where we were even three months ago. The world will be a different place and it will be a different place for a while. And with that, there's a whole lot or there are a whole lot of psychological, economic social, biological implications, which we're going to try and skip through in about 20 minutes. True, true, true. And when people talk about this new normal too, it's important to realise that we're actually only at the start, so we don't actually know the new normal. You know, I I was just doing, you know, I I love playing with my calculator, as you know. (laughs) I'm like a frustrated... Now, a couple of times when I'm talking to you over the phone, I can tell you're on your calculator calculating something and you're going to give me a number. Well, one of the things that sort of strikes me as we're coming out of ISO is that there's enormous fear in the community, and we'll get to what that's about. But 
I think it's so important to realize that a lot of it is just the confusion and uncertainty because we don't know where we are. In a, nut, in a nutshell, there's been 4 million cases of um, COVID so far, known cases. You know, in, in the, the world. world. In the world. 4 million right. in the world. And we've got 8 billion people. So, so far, we're up to 0.05% of the population. Now, remember... A couple of months ago when we were talking about this and all the modelling I understand was that it was anticipated that about somewhere between 30 and 70% of the population are going to get this over the next two or three years, depending on vaccines and stuff like that. But, you know, just imagine, let's be super conservative and say it's it's 30%. Well, we're 0.05. So we've still got, we're one sixtieth of the way there yet. So the reason I raise that, though, is because the new normal isn't about the new restrictions or changes in our isolation status. The new normal really means how do we deal with our anxieties and concerns facing this illness that's going to travel through our community over the next couple of years. Yeah, just on those numbers, though, those numbers, I would imagine, were modelled assuming no intervention. And there has been a lot of intervention across in most places have got some sort of uh, intervention. I heard though there was it uh, Tanzania uh, doesn't have it. Aren't there some other places that don't have it as well? Um, uh, yeah, it slipped my mind. But yeah, most, 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 most places in the world have got social distancing. And yeah, like but that. even so, my understanding, which is obviously wrong, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll check this up for a future podcast, but my understanding was when we flatten the curve, we delay the spread. We don't necessarily decrease the number of people who get it. The goal was to delay. So the idea is that you delay it so you don't overwhelm your healthcare system because the biggest... Um, determinants of a high death rate, uh, a lack of um, adequate a- a access to ICU beds and hospital beds for one, yep. and for two, making a lack of PPE, per- personal protective equipment. Yep. Because PPE, no PPE equals doctors and nurses and healthcare workers get Getting sick. sick. Yep. It means you can have all the damn beds you like, you've got no staff. So yep. you've got to have both beds and PPE. Now, I didn't think we were actually hoping to decrease. I mean, we'd love it if we could eradicate it with a vaccine. But failing a vaccine, I still assume that in time, about, I don't know, somewhere between 30 and 70% of us have to get it so that we've got adequate herd immunity so that COVID doesn't remain such a frightening phenomenon. So the proviso in that statement is, assuming we don't have a vaccine, you still think that 30% will develop, uh, will, will be infected by COVID? Look, I think that based on my previous yeah. reading, but I'm obviously yeah. not an epidemiologist. And so, I've, in fact, you know, I'm really going to look that up. Maybe while you're talking, I'm going to quickly Google it. <laughs> You know, we need an epidemiologist. But my understanding is that figure hasn't changed unless we get a vaccine. Now, on the vaccine front, just by the by, I read an article by Professor Peter Doherty, Nobel Prize winner um, from Australia, you know, virus expert, wrote a book on pandemics. He said, it was an article in the Financial Review. I was only reading it because it was on Facebook. I've never read that. I was going to say, you're a a left-wing, dyed-in-the-wool Labor supporter, Uh, you know. If I see people reading the financial review, I turn my nose up. Um, it's my anti-snobbery. But he said he's hoping for a vaccine as soon as September. Right. But other people I've heard say a more realistic figure is um, 18 months, maybe longer. Well, in the next few shows, we hope to be interviewing people from 
that particular area of expertise. In fact, uh, we've got some guests lined up, I think, Stephen, don't we? We're getting confused. Yeah, our next guest is um, a scientist and a di- and the director of one of the oh the biggest um, research institute in Australia, but he's not actually a virologist. Anyway, we'll worry about that next next. Um, well, one of the things that uh, our Prime Minister Scott Morrison said was important. One of the pillars of you know returning to uh, returning our economy to working, doing all the social stuff we like doing, is that we have really, really good contact tracing on people who have or become infected with the virus. So that contact tracing is super, super important. And one of the pillars of that is the COVID safe app. Yep. And uh, health minister said, health minister said, look, we'd really love it if 40% of people downloaded that app. That way we get a, it's kind of like that's a critical mass to be able to go out and find people that have potentially infected and say to them, hey, look, you need to isolate and da 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 at the moment, on my last reading, 5.4 million people have downloaded the app, which is about 22% of the population, which isn't 40%, but that's a lot. Now, my recollection of, of uh, Singapore's uh, rate of download of their app was around at the 20% mark. So we're, we're up there with Singapore in terms of downloading that. But I've got this great idea of how okay. to get more people to download the app. And this follows upon my historic idea of how to get people to buy uh, to tap on and tap off on trams and trains. So here in Victoria, when you get on a pu- public transport, it's totally up to you if you tap your card, and therefore to ducks money, onto the train or tram. And you face the risk of maybe, I don't know, one in 50 chance of an inspector coming on and saying, hey, you haven't tapped. Can I, before you give the great idea, have we got like a 30-year history where you tell me you've got a great idea and I immediately scoff and say it's bullshit? <laughs> Let's no. just... No, it's a 40-year history. <laughs> carries on. I'm going to be, do my best to be respectful of your opinion. So my idea with the tram tickets was that, or train tickets, is that when you tap on, you immediately go into a, um, you've got a one in 100 chance of winning a free uh, tram ride or a one in 1,000 chance of winning an iPhone. So basically, it's a reward thing. So people like, it's like a scratchy ticket. Like yep. you want to do it because the more you do it, the more likely you are to get a reward. And I think it's the same thing with the COVID app. You've got a one in whatever chance, say a one in a hundred chance of winning a, I don't know, iTunes card, or everybody who downloads the app gets um, a tax rebate or something like that. So it's, it's a positive for downloading the app rather than just, yeah, download the app. I think that's a good idea. There must be some ethical argument against it, though, because you're inducing people. I don't know, but um, but I, it's a good idea. It's it, not scoffing. That's not scoffing. Know, not scoffing. I'm, I'm really disappointed. I was really <laughs> good scoff. But I like it because, you know what, there's so much money out there, too. You could also, um, you know, there's so much money being given away. You could almost make it like Tate's Lotto. You know, there's yeah. once, once um, every two weeks, there's a once a week, there's a million-dollar prize. <laughs> Can you imagine, you know, Australians love to gamble. <laughs> Everyone would have the COVID app. That's right. And, and, but it's positive reinforcement, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah anyway, but I, I like it. So the, the, the keys are obviously good contact tracing, maintaining social distancing and low numbers. You know, yeah. we're, we're gifted at the moment, not gifted because we worked hard for it, but we're, we've got great low numbers in Australia. So even if we have an outbreak, if we've got good contact tracing, we should be able to isolate, quarantine and yeah. manage the outbreak quickly. Yeah. I give you a report card on where we're up to. Yeah, please. Do you need a six-month report card? Pretty much been six months since the virus started in November. 
in Wuhan. Um, and what do we know about the effects of COVID so far? And, you know, it's surprisingly, we're still, we've learned a lot, but we still haven't learned nearly enough. We know it's highly infectious. Um, and we, and uh, we know, therefore, the keys are contact tracing and quarantine. We know if you get it, it depends heavily on what country and you're in and what the state of the hospitals are and the availability of PPE like we we're talking about. Um, in Australia, for example, there's been 7,000 cases, 97 deaths, with a death rate, therefore, of about 1.4%. Mm. And 62% of our people caught it overseas. So only 38% caught it in Australia. Now, in the world... There's been 4 million cases, 278,000 deaths for a death rate currently of 6.9%. So it's way higher because it's been um, biased by a couple of things, biased by, um, by the hospitals being unprepared, a lack of PPE, and also inadequate testing. So the denominator, we don't know really how many people. When we say 4 million people have had it and 278,000 deaths, the 278,000 deaths is probably pretty accurate, reasonably accurate, whereas the 4 million could be a gross underestimate because there's not nearly enough testing going on in the world. Now, the illness itself, we know there's no treatment yet, but there's a lot of treatments actively being trialled as we speak all over the world. The number of studies is really impressive. Um, We think that once you've had the illness, we think you probably get immunity but we're not 100% sure. There's no study to back it up, but all the evidence suggests you should. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the actual illness, there's the biggest study is a study from China of 44,000 people with COVID. 81% of them had a mild illness, very mild, no symptoms or a few. 14% had a severe illness. 5% were critical. And the overall fatality of that 44,000 people that they studied was 2.3%. Mm. Yeah. So in between. Recovery is about two to um, six weeks. And uh, um, so that's pretty much what we know of it at the moment. And I guess the the thing that I've been thinking about today in particular is this issue of why are we so scared coming out of um, ISO? Well, can I just can I just report on the economic uh, effects? The the report card um, that was the I am the economic reporter for our <laughs> the Shrink the Forest podcast. You uh, you don't spend. <laughs> Say that again. You're the only one with any money to spend. <laughs> Hardly. Um, what do we find out? We So this is from uh, Josh Frydenberg's speech to Parliament today. Um, we He said that uh, the IMF is forecasting that the world economy to contract by 3%. And that's in contrast to the GFC, where it shrank by 0.1%. Did you say 3%? 3%. Right, and the GFC was 0.1. So it's 30 times more than the GFC in terms of contraction. Um, uh, the GDP in Australia is uh, to fall by 10% in the June quarter. Um, Treasury is forecasting an unemployment rate of about 10% for the June quarter. Um, uh, household consumption is expected to be 16% lower. Business is ex- uh, investment is expected to be eighteen percent lower. <coughs> it doesn't give a damn about all these numbers. The gist is. No, I just have to tell you one other thing. This statistic, this statistic really got me. Domestic and international air travel is down by ninety-seven percent, with nearly forty thousand passengers. Forty thousand passengers went through Brisbane Airport on Easter Sunday last year. Forty thousand. Guess how many went through this year? Ten. Thirty-one. <laughs> 31, right. That is a a sort of a representation of the scale of the economic impact. It is gargantuan. Mm. And we're spending an 
fortune to try and stimulate the economy. That is More true. Than anyone's ever even imagined spending. Yeah. Let me bring you back to the risks. So, you know, obviously everyone's scared of coming out of isolation. You know, a lot of people are really wrapped to come out of isolation and want to, you know, face the world and get on with things. But there's obviously a significant portion of our community that's scared stiff. And I'm going to argue, I don't know whether I'm going to argue successfully, but I'm going to argue that we're misunderstanding the risks, that okay. we're getting overly worried about catching COVID, the disease, rather than the effects of the pandemic, meaning the effects on society, on the economy and um, various other factors that I'll touch on. So our fear of COVID, of catching COVID, of being infected, is way out of proportion to the effect it's going to have on us appraising the risks of going out back into society. Yeah. So what I'm saying is you've got to separate the pandemic from the illness, yep. from the disease. Um, of course, the pandemic is just the disease at a societal level. It's, you know, yep. it's what happens to the society versus the disease is what happens to the individual. Yep. And what I'm saying is COVID is a nasty disease, no doubt. We've just said it's got a death rate of somewhere between about 1% and 2%. Um, and uh, But, of course, worst-case scenario this year, by the sounds of it, we'll have about a million deaths out of the total... In the world. In the world. In the world this year, about a million deaths if it continues to go really badly the way it is. That's compared to the normal death rate per year of about 56 million. And so what I'm saying is where do we rank the risks of facing this disease? Mm -hmm. How bad is it compared to the flu? Is it as bad as smoking? Is it as bad as being obese? Is it as bad as a sedentary lifestyle? Mm -hmm. You know, where should we place our fear? Good and question. I Good question. I'm going to argue that we don't need to face our fears. We should be scared of getting COVID, no doubt. But at the end of the day, most of us, 80% of us are going to have a mild illness. You know, even um, most of us, it's not as bad as, certainly nothing, nowhere near cancer. It's not even close to things like Ebola, obviously. Yeah. Um, and whereas what we should be scared of is the implications of the pandemic. Yeah. The pandemic, you know, I've divided up the effects of the pandemic into four categories. Four categories. One, loss of life, ourselves and our loved ones. But reminding you, this year it'll probably be about a million people compared to 56 million who will die of other causes. Two, the economic consequences that you've just touched on. Yep. And I think, as you say, they're massive. That could be worldwide unemployment, starvation, homelessness, increases in, um, uh, you know, all the things that go with that, domestic violence, all the horrible consequences yep. of poverty. Um, the next thing I want to touch on, the third, is lifestyle and political consequences. You know, and for that, I mean the effect of our lifestyle if we don't go back to facing our fear of, co if we don't get back into the community. Yep. And in particular, I'm worried about the political consequences. I'm worried about big brother scenarios and I'm worried about wars because, and I, was, and I can't take responsibility for this myself. I, I was listening to Yuval Noah Harari, the uh, author of Sapiens, fantastic book if you haven't. Mm, mm. He was talking um, during the week and I listened to him and he was saying, we've got a vacuum in world leadership at the moment. He was saying, normally the US plays an international role in as being the leader. He said, but right now the US leadership is so dysfunctional, they can't even lead their own country mm. and in fact are being disruptive at a world level yep. by doing 
things such as defunding the WHO, the World Health Organization. And so, you know, if we don't manage this very carefully, the risks of this, again, like the risk of the economic destruction, are far greater than the actual risk of us dying from COVID in comparison to other diseases. And then the fourth one I want to throw into the picture that's been touched on a little bit is the the pandemic causing fear, uncertainty and Look, a loss of the glorious denial we've lived in for the last um, two or three generations. And I think there's going to be... So, hang on, what, what glorious denial is that? We've just we, we, we've been so lucky ever since World War Two that we've really lost our awareness of death. We've lost our awareness of the futility of uh, uh, and the uncertainty of life. Um, so we've just we've now got this massive slap in the face, and we've been told, you know, you guys have just assumed that everything's going to grow and grow and be wonderful ever since World War Two, whereas in reality. It's a lot scarier than you think, and I think, and I suspect that's going to lead to a bit of an epidemic of mental illness. Hmm. So, so if, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to draw an analogy whereby you know the virus affects cells in the body and can kill those cells. Yeah. The disease affects people at a, a multi-organ system level and can kill people. Yeah. So the virus killing cells is bad. The disease killing people is very bad. But the pandemic destroying the fabric of our society is very, 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 very bad. And so what I'm saying is our fear is misplaced. Mm. Our fear of COVID is overblown. Yes, it's worse than the flu, but it's not as bad as a whole lot of other things we do and things we sometimes choose to do, like smoking. Mm. It's bad, but it's not nearly as bad as the fear of the pandemic. And the treatment, whilst the treatment of COVID is to stay locked away Mm. and try never to catch it for the average punter who hasn't got any chronic disease or who isn't elderly Mm. you are far bigger risk hiding away from covid than you are contributing to rebuilding our society to ensure that the economy doesn't fall over to ensure that we don't get worldwide political destruction and uh, and we keep you know our democracies going and we stop big brother style behaviors and activities that's where our fear should be lying so we shouldn't be scared of leaving our houses and catching covid we should be scared of staying in our houses and destroying our society that's where i'm trying to head so but Stephen, that would be an argument that you could make for australia and new zealand say but it's not so much an argument you could make for places like New York or other places where the virus has really taken a huge toll. The toll in New York, though, just to you know, put it in perspective, so in New York, they're up to, last I measured, 4% of New Yorkers have had the illness um, and their death rate is pretty high. I think it's around about 4 or 5% because the hospitals yeah. have been overrun. But again... The actual, those actual numbers will pale into significance in comparison to other illnesses, and they'll pale into insignificance if um, America starts a civil war and they've got uh, people unemployed on the streets and uh, not being able to buy food. So hang on, are you arguing for a Trump-like policy where everybody just goes back because that's to work, because... That's far more important? No, not in the slightest. And, and you know, obviously I think Trump's really, I think he's lost on this whole, I don't think he understands it at all. Yeah. What I'm arguing is that, yes, we want to delay the spread. Yeah. Yes, we want to keep the numbers down as low as possible, but it can't be at the cost 
of um, allowing the fabric of our society, our economy and a democracy of falling away. And so I'm saying that basically we have to, and until we get, a, unless we get a vaccine, we have to live with this illness and we have to live with it a bit like flu. We have to know that every year some of us are going to get it. Now with the flu, we're lucky only about 0.5% die per year. It's still millions each year um, because we've got vaccines and stuff. But we um, have to live with the fact that now we've got COVID as well. And if we lock ourselves away, yes, we can prevent us as individuals getting COVID, but we risk damaging the fabric of our society through the economic, political um, failures that could occur as a consequence. That's where I'm getting, I'm trying yeah, to... I, no, no, and I get the... the this through this afternoon to be honest <laughs> i get the gist the gist because i just feel really uncomfortable with this idea that we're scared to go out i think that's the lesser of the fears my bigger fear is that if we don't get our economy moving keep our democracies going um ensure that we've got good quality world leadership don't let us fight amongst ourselves don't let all these things break out i think that's the biggest that's a way bigger risk than getting COVID and facing a 1.4 percent chance of dying mm. that's what i'm worried about yeah, I'm look, thinking. I think, but again, I think people, once they start moving out and about, once there is a semblance of approaching going back to normal activities, or they won't be entirely normal, people will become less fearful. Right now, we've been locked away, or we haven't been locked away, but we've been isolated for what now, probably six weeks or so. So and we are naturally fearful of emerging because, you know, we've spent all this time staying away so i think give it some time and i think people will become less fearful especially w once we understand what the unknowns are because right now we don't know what coming out of isolation is going to bring with it once we know that there will be spot um outbreaks of COVID, and there will be a a, a very uh clear uh um health department reaction to that and that they'll be contained uh, you know once we get used to that i think our level of fear will decrease yeah i think you're spot on i guess i'm just trying to um yeah that's a good point a little bit i'm just trying to reframe yeah. like a series of risks yeah, and, that's a good point. And, and if we overvalue one risk because of a phobia about the risk and i think we've got a phobia about COVID. i think if we overvalue one risk we can sometimes underplay other risks that are actually greater and i don't think that we're never going to eradicate COVID. we might be able to eliminate it to a degree but really we're aiming for control and control means a reduction sorry can, can you just define those control versus elimination versus eradication what are what are the differences epidemiological terms uh, that people use around infections like viruses. So control means that um, we're in control of the disease, we're beating it basically, we're getting a reduction in cases but not zero and the health services are in a state where they can treat it. Australia right now, we're controlling it, so is New Zealand. Elimination means zero new cases but you still need preventative measures because the virus still exists. Yep can come back at any time but with a vaccine those preventative measures can be relatively mild yeah. so if we get the vaccine we can go for elimination and we can live with you know going about our business without too many changes. so that would be kind of like measles uh yeah yeah i yeah. think yeah. it's considered virtually i'm not sure if it's under control or elimination smallpox yeah. is eliminated isn't smallpox it? uh was eradicated uh, smallpox is eradicated yeah and whereas eradicated means zero new cases worldwide and no prevention measures are needed anymore, but that's unlikely to ever happen with COVID. Like the flu, 
the epidemiologists are saying you're not going to get to that with COVID. It's always going to exist from now on. Um, but it might mutate and it might become milder. Sometimes it becomes more severe, but it often becomes harder to catch. Yep. So as they mutate and we might get enough infections to get herd immunity, especially if we get a vaccine. Yeah. So I guess um, I, I, I'm one of those people who slightly my, my ears just prick up at the concept. I know I've been hearing about herd immunity since I was in medical school, but, you know, just being considered one of the herd, I just you know, isn't that a little bit pejorative? Come on. I like being part of the herd. That's why I wear my tracksuit every day. So no one, is, no one attacks me. Um, you know, but I guess my conclusions, uh, I'm super optimistic about this, even though I know it doesn't sound like I am, because essentially what I'm saying is... Um, I think our leadership's been great, and I think, and especially I love what Daniel Andrews has done in the last few days, to be honest. I think he's taken a really careful and considered approach. I was scared in earlier podcasts that he was going to be a bit idea, ideological and... Mm not follow the experts. I think he's got, I um, love that he's got a plan for opening up the schools. But I think uh, basically what I'm saying is the pandemic is bloody scary, much scarier than COVID. Let's change our concerns a little bit. And that means let's embrace what everyone, what the leaders and the experts are saying. Let's balance the economic, political, lifestyle, mental health risks against the actual risks of having COVID. And let's get moving, follow the advice to get out of ISO. Do you know, this is what happens when you get two psychiatrists talking about epidemiology. Yeah, we kind of know what we're talking about. <laughs> we've got lots of opinions. We've got some facts. Uh, look, we were going to talk about uh, some other things, like the things that we would both miss coming out of ISA, but we might leave that to another podcast because, we, as usual, we've gone over time. Tell me what you miss most. What do you miss most about... Uh... Oh, okay. Number one ticket, it's, it's time with my family, really. It's just, it's. I mean, it's... You're sure it's not just your imagination? <laughs> no, no, I just... You're not getting any rashes, <laughs> <laughs> some pines. Oh, I love this. Oh, I love being with my family. No, just, no, <laughs> my back's so sore and I've got a rash over my whole body. <laughs> no, no, it's because things are slow. That's the other thing. I mean, you know, because we're not rushing off to do social stuff or to, to be places. And so dinners are slow and, you know... Breakfasts are slow-ish, and weekends are incredibly slow, and there's no pressure to be here or there. And for me, if there's you know something that I, the number one thing, it would probably probably be that. But there are other things we're going to talk about in other podcasts about things you'll miss. What will you miss? Look, you know, as you can probably tell, you know, and I and I've apologised for this so many times, but you know, having spent my forty-year career, you know, doing. 10 or 15 odd years in infectious diseases, dealing with HIV and mm. dealing with illnesses in hospitals. You know, I, I, even though I'm still horrified by COVID, I'm fascinated by the science behind it. It's just fascinating. And, and now that's not going to go away with isolation. But, you know, I'm basically spending my whole life at the moment for the last two months, either at work preparing for COVID or at home reading about COVID. But then balancing that, obviously, with, you know, switching. But hang on. But how is that? But tell me what you're going to miss. Are you going to miss, I mean, coming out of ISO? I mean, what are you going to miss? I'm just going to miss wearing my tracksuit. Tracksuit pants, yeah. I'm just going to say. I'm going to have to start wearing jeans again. They're more uncomfortable. I, I like my tracky decks. You know, I like ISO, you know, but it hasn't. I can't be. It's not the same for me because I've, you know, I've been working every yeah. day. So I haven't really had to 
deal with the horror of four walls and getting bored stiff. You know, I'm working all day and most nights I'm either doing podcasts, <laughs> radio or writing or reading <laughs> about stuff that, you know, I've been studying my whole life. So yeah. I haven't had a true experience like other people. Hey, should we do our all our end up stuff? We should. Um, so you have been listening to ooh, Shrink the Virus. That was a microphone moving there unintentionally. Um, I'm Rob Seltzer. The person staring into my eyes right now is Steve Ellen. We're uh, two psychiatrists at different ends of the spectrum, and we've been friends since uh, high school. It's probably about 40 years. Thank you so much to Triple R for allowing us to do this. And specifically, the people at Triple R are Beck and Mia and Elizabeth and michael you've only got one more to go and i've forgotten one grace 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 sorry grace whiz through the social media don't forget we've got our social media we've got shrink the virus uh if you search either of them on instagram or facebook you'll find us also through our uh, radio show radio therapy on three triple r um you can also look at my website steve ellen that's with e-l-l-e-n one word steve ellen.com and i've got lots of stuff linking this and other info as well um, of course don't forget to tune into radio therapy on three triple r every sunday which is also podcast and don't forget if you like us subscribe and even if you don't like us subscribe and don't forget to give a comment and rate us oh no yeah please write us a review i mean we 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 love reviews we prefer good reviews but we'll even take some bad ones write whatever you want to say about us don't forget we'll read it. email us any ideas you want us to discuss or if you think we've got anything wrong feel free to tell us because yeah. we're doing our best but we're not perfect and our email is shrinkthevirus at gmail.com that's about it as he takes a big breath and uh, we'll see you next podcast thanks for listening yeah, cheers, everyone. Thank you. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.